right, well, we got a treat. We got a 10 minute speaker, and then we got Jonathan Blanchard who's going to share with us too. So we're excited to hear from him. But first, excited. This has been like a year coming. Joel was, was going to share with us before COVID, and uh, it didn't quite happen. So we're glad to finally get him. Joel, come on up. He's our 10 minute speaker today. Yeah, let's welcome him. Do good. Whew. Wow, that was that was really a powerful time of, of just worship and um, it was just neat the different songs that, that that came up and what Travis had shared initially too. Um, really, kind of was in line with I'd been praying, you know, just what to share. There's so many things to share. You know, God is so good and. Um, and this, is, this has been a tough week, um, a lot of spiritual battle. Um, my wife isn't here right now. She had a starting of a migraine. Um, so throughout the week had been just a lot of things going on. And so uh, maybe just we can start in prayer. Um, I'm kind of nervous too. I, I love to share, but I'm always really nervous when I start. So <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, because this is all about you. And we just ask that, that you would... Lord, we pray against all strongholds, all attacks of the enemy, um, just that, that wants to hold back your praise and declaring of, of your goodness. Lord, we pray that you would touch um, just any physical ailment, Lord, God, any spiritual attacks, Lord God. We just pray your presence, your peace would be upon us today. Lord, use my lips to, to speak what, what you've been sharing to me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So for those that don't know me, my name is Joelle Nunez, and my wife isn't here, like I said, but um, our three children here, our babies at home, and, and we've been attending almost um, two years here at Morningstar, and as I was um, just praying about what to share, um, one of the verses that, that had come up was just from Hebrews. Uh, 4.12 that talks about God's living, God's word is living and active. And it's so amazing how sometimes we can hear a verse a hundred times, you know, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just highlights it and, and really just reveals something new to us. And the one that, that he's highlighted for me that's been just something I've been using in my prayer is Psalm 28.7. And, and it says... Um, well, I'll just say it by memory. Um, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with a song I give thanks. And so I'm just going to share a few different things on this topic. So the first one is um, with my work, I, I get up really early in the morning because I'm an IT project manager where I work with people all over the, the globe, and so I try to have as much overlap early in the morning. And so 5.25, the alarm goes off, and sometimes I am exhausted, <laughs> and I have to really just remember and say, the Lord is my strength, and, and talk about that, and just really um, give thanks to the Lord that, that he strengthens my mind to be able to think, um, our bodies to be able to get out of bed. Um, and then he also gives us his Holy Spirit, right? And in you know, uh, Second Peter, first, uh, sorry, chapter one, three, you know, talks about how he's giving us his divine power for all life and godliness. And so that, that's something that um, you know, just praise God for his strength that he gives us. And then um, just for being a shield, um, more than ever, um, just having young children and kind of wild kids, uh, I realize all the ways that, that God protects us and protects them from things we don't even know. And also back in 2002, um, I was living in the Caribbean in Barbados and they drive on the other side of the road. And I was coming back from a trip to Miami and picked up the car at the airport, started my way. And there's a lot of roundabouts in Barbados. And I took the first one, but didn't go straight. I kind of kept looping around. Soon I was driving and I was out in the country and I was like, that doesn't look right. <laughs> I think I took the wrong turn. So I turned around, got back on the road, got on the right side, which is our default. Um, but. I should have gotten on the other side of the road, and so I came around a bend, and before I knew it, I saw headlights, and boom, had a head-on collision. And the car I was driving didn't have an airbag. Um, I bent the steering wheel with my wrist, but didn't break them. Um, you know, I just had 
severe whiplash. I still have a bit of a cracking in my sternum from it. But I'm alive, and I'm here today you know, because of, of God's protection. And the other person, praise God, um, was fine. You know, had some scratches in that, but was okay. Um, then the next part of the verse talks about just trust, right? Our heart trusts in him. And how amazing is it, especially now, as, as Travis was saying, we're so close to the election, there's so much uncertainty, so many questions we have about our work, finances, um, health, um, that we can trust in God, the God that didn't spare his own son and sent us his son to take our place, to take our sin, to give us life and life now and for all eternity. And, and so um, it's really neat just that, that we have that trust. And then it says, and I am helped. And we have help. Um, it's not just a blind trust where God doesn't do anything. He acts on our behalf. And, and I, you know, I don't want to take a lot of time, but I can tell you just so many ways that God has acted and helped me and helped me even today to get here. Um, so the other, the other part of this um, says, my heart exalts. And I don't know if anybody knows what the word exalt means, um, but I looked it up, and, and in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says, uh, rejoice exceedingly, and it even says, leap for joy. And so when I come to this part, as I use this kind of as a praying model in the morning, not, not always, but um, I just I just think, wow, you know, I want to leap for joy. And so I, I try to do a small jump without pulling a hamstring early in the morning or something. <laughs> and, and I just like, God, you are worthy. You're awesome. I exalt in you. Um, and, and something, you know, that's really, really amazing when, when you, we realize that there is, we are spirit, mind, and body. Um, we're, we're not just spirit, we're not just our emotions, our intellect. Um, we, we have a body too. And so when we, when we have a physical representation like what we are doing today, which is so beautiful, we're praising the Lord, there is something powerful as we're, as we're doing it, uh, as we're praising the Lord. And so um, there's so many verses you know, that talk about um, just lifting our hands and worship. And there was this, this night of worship in Charlotte when we lived there like about three years ago, and this, this um, worship leader shared three, we, three reasons why we lift up our hands. And I know sometimes, you know, we have just different backgrounds or whatever, and so lifting our hands might be too religious or too wild or whatever it might be. Um, but I really liked them. They really stuck to me. And one of them is the first one of we lift up our hands like a child, you know, my small children, they're like, up. You know, they, they want to be lifted up from whatever's going on there and be up in my arms. And, and so when we lift up our arms, we're, we're saying, God, I want to be up. I want to be able to see things from your perspective. I want to be comforted. Um, and so the other one is, is surrender. When you lift up our hands, um, we're, we're not protecting ourselves. We're, we're fully vulnerable, Right. We don't have anything to protect us. And it's, I think, the international sign of surrender, right? We lift up our hands. Um, and the, the third one is, is one of wow, yeah? And I think we can all relate. Uh, we, we all have some favorite basketball or football or, you know, whatever team. And we're watching this amazing game. It's a final, right? And... They happen to just, you know, it's the most amazing play right at the end, right in the nick of time, and we just jump up, and we're like, whoa, did you see that? Do you see that? You know, we're just excited. We're jumping up, um, and, and that's, that's something that, you know, as I was, I was thinking and praying about this, is that in the nick of time, well, actually, um, the clock had run out, yeah? The clock had run out. There wasn't any... Um, basically humanity's sin, death came in, it was game over. It was game over. And even though that had happened, God, through Jesus, made the greatest of all moves and saved us. You know, he saved you and me, and he wants to save everyone in this nation. And I just think that 
It's just neat as we lift up our hands, we can you know, just ask for help, ask for God to comfort us. We can surrender to him, but we can also just be like, wow, God, you are awesome. You are worthy. And, and then the last part is, and with the song, I give thanks. And, and you know, Heart of Gratitude just talks so much about the Bible, in the Bible about gratitude. And I think when we, when we have gratitude in our hearts, it's very difficult uh, for, for us to complain at the same time. It's really difficult for us to, um, it, it helps take off in just such a self, self-absorbed um, just world we live in and just where we're looking for comfort. Um, I mean, we're, we're all human. We have different things, but it, it allows to turn and realize that what we do have is such a gift from God. We can give thanks to him. Um, and, but it's a battle. It's definitely a battle. I was realizing, I mean, this week as, as I was preparing to share this, um, it, it was a battle on many different fronts um, with the children, disobedience, uh, my wife and migraines. Um, at work, I had just some just really big challenges, um, just a lot of stress. Um, and, and it's really difficult in those point, in those times to really just exult the Lord, want to jump up. You know, you're just trying, trying to you know, not fall apart in that moment. Um, but as, you know, I, I like this point Rick Joyner had mentioned with the joy of the Lord, and I love that it came up in the song, you know, the joy of the Lord, about being, it's, we have, we experience the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? When we give the Lord joy, he strengthens us. And especially, you know, when it's not coming naturally, especially when we're under attack, when there's opposition, um, we're able to just bless the Lord. And, and also, you know, something um, I realized, too, there's attack where we, you know, and I, I love the part in the song came up, too, it talked about, you know, we laying our crowns down, right? Um, and I was something I was talking with my son Isaiah that, that, there's only one king, and that's Jesus. But the problem is when we're wanting to wear our own crown. And, and so that, that opposition you know, happens with the enemy. Um, he's a thief, like it says you know, in the Bible. It says, um, okay, I had a reference there. Yeah, John 10, 10 talks about how he's a thief. And one of the things, he's a glory robber. God gave me this turn. I don't know if it exists or not, but he wants to he wants to steal the glory that God deserves. And sometimes it's where we're trying to take God's glory. You know, and sometimes, you know, I'm trying to teach the children, it's like when they do something or that, be like, hey, look at me. You know, it's like, no, look at God, because he gave you the strength, he gave you the talent. And and so that's something that that you know, we just need to be village, vigilant um, because it is a battle to steal the glory that God deserves. Um, because the center of the universe, we're, we're not the center of the universe. It is God who is, and he is worthy of all praise. And, and so I hope um, to just encourage you with this psalm as you're you know, in your individual praise time or you know, as we're in corporate worship, just realize that um, there is something beautiful as we have a physical representation, manifestation of, of what we are thinking, what we're praising, what we're worshiping. And so I would love to pray with, with you before I just finish. And whoever just feels led, if you want to lift up your hands, you know, because he is worthy. Lord God, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you because... Lord, you are, you're, you're beautiful, you're amazing. Um, there's nothing that compares with you. And Lord God, we just together want to lift up our hands to you, lift up our hearts, and just say that you are holy, you're awesome. And this gathering and everything, every breath that we take, we want it to be for you, for your glory, for your honor. And Lord God, we, we pray that as we do that, um, the name of Jesus would be lifted high, that people would be drawn to the Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And we thank you, Lord, and just pray your blessings. Lord, I pray blessings upon each person here and those that are watching online, those that didn't make it, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We're good, we're good now. People are going to decide whether they're going to listen to you or they're not going to listen to you in the very first 30 seconds or the first minute. And then you're just wasting your breath if they've decided that they don't want to hear what you have to say. So you just literally just need to go to the next person and see if you have a better outcome. 
So this is the warm-up, right? <laughs> this is the warm-up. I've never, I haven't spoke here in 15 years. I mean, the God Nights is not really a teaching, but um, it was 15 years ago I was doing some stuff here, and Paul was, you know, plowing the ground, and here I am, circle back around, you know, 15 years later. You know, I guess God can always get you back on track even if you get off. <laughs> so, this, so the thing is, I'm going to talk a little bit about kangaroos. Anybody been doing any kangaroo reading? Kangaroos, you know, Australia, kangaroos. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tie into that, but, you know, my thing is I'm going to start off because I feel like I'm supposed to do some teaching today. I don't need an hour to teach. I'm going to let you know this is not going to go to a 1 o'clock unless Travis decides to extend the meeting. Uh, most messages can be probably consolidated about 10 minutes. You can just wrap it up in 10 minutes and be done with it, but sometimes you have to get into the groove and find out where things are going. And so I, I felt like I was supposed to get into some teaching, and I actually had to create an outline, which I haven't created an outline in a long time. So, you know, I, if I had to put a title on this, I'd call it Recognizing the Invitations. And I'm going to tie into how this message started evolving in my thoughts, because um, it came out of a really odd scenario about a month and a half back that I've been, I'm still pursuing this, this revelation. I'm still digging into this mystery. But, you know, an invitation is really a written or a verbal request inviting someone to go somewhere or to do something. And, you know, most individuals, you know, they want to be invited. They want to be included. They want to go somewhere. They want to do something with people. Nobody really likes being left out. You know, and that starts off really early. Dodgeball, you're the last kid to get picked. You're not picked on this. I mean, it just starts off early. And, and there's a, you know, this process you start realizing that, you know, nobody wants to be left out. You know, and a while back, the Lord told me, he said, I don't want to leave people out. I don't want anybody to be left out. And, and I hold on to that because, man, in all kinds of scenarios, environments, wherever it is, there's always people who feel left out. And, you know, I've been there. I know what it feels like to be left out. I know what it feels like to leave people out, you know? And so, you know, the interesting, interesting thing about this definition of invitation is it has two characteristics, is, you know, the first characteristic comes in a written form, and the second one, it comes in a verbal form. You know, we get written invitations in the mail to go to parties. We get written invitations to go to weddings. And then we get invitations through people. Hey, come to my house Friday. Or, hey, come to this party. Come to this event. And, you know, and the Lord has established invitations, declarations in the universe. These invitations are sitting in mailboxes, you know, spiritual mailboxes, if you will. And they're sitting there, and people have no idea they have a letter from God waiting to be open. They can understand that there's something for them to receive. And so God has made these declarations in the earth on a general platform, but then he's given us individual, personal invitations that only apply to my life and your life. You know, and we see all through the scriptures that everybody had all these invitations. And you know, your invitation is specific to your life and to your season, and those invitations change. And so you know, there's the declarations that are across the board that God has invited us to. And I'm going to tie into those a little bit. And then there's the questions of, you know, the personal invitation. Well, what is the Lord inviting me to do personally? What is Jonathan being asked to do? What is Margaret being asked to do? What is Paul? You know, and you just go down the list. The Lord is asking each of us a question. And the question is, have you received your invitation? Do you know what the invitation is that the Lord has put in front of you? The letter sitting in your mailbox, maybe. And so I'm going to tie into how I got into this, this whole scenario by... About a month and a half back, I was praying. I was actually at Maud's place, and I was in a prayer meeting, and I'm praying, and all of a sudden, I hear this phrase, the year of the kangaroo. And I was like, man, that is, you know, okay, I'm, I'm cool with hearing odd things. I like, I like the, the fact that God is, God is not strange. I've interpreted the fact that I'm strange. Because, see, God is not strange. And the reason why I determined that is because everything he does makes sense to him, doesn't make sense to me, but when you realize that he is always right, I'm the one that's strange because what he does is form because I haven't learned 
what works or what makes him tick in certain ways. So when I hear a phrase, the year of the kangaroo, I'm like, that is really odd. You know, I kind of laugh a little bit because I'm like, that comes out of left field. So I'm thinking, okay, what, next year is going to be the year of the kangaroo? I'm like, so I start trying to find out what does this mean? You know, what's the deal with this? So I get online and I say, let's just type this in and see what comes up under a search. Sure enough, it's the name of a book. I'm like, man, it's the name of a book. The year of the kangaroo. He also wrote a book called The Year of the Koala. So I'm like, okay, so I'm like, so this is this is why it caught my attention though, was because when I opened it up and I saw what year it was published, I knew that God was inviting me to find something out. There was a journey, there's there's something here. What year was it made? It was made in 1977, the year I was born. It's like, ah, so this thing published in the in 1977. That means I need to find this book. So I ordered the book. I was going to bring it, but it's at home, and it's called The Year of the Kangaroo. This guy wrote it, and it is so boring. <laughs> it is so dry because I'm not like a, a, an animal connoisseur or, you know, uh, I'm not a pet lover. I have just got a dog, but I love animals, but I don't want to own an animal, and I'm not into zoology. So I have to read this book, and it's all about kangaroo behavior for one year. Now... I start reading the book, find out it's really boring, but I know that there's a message in this book. There's something in this book that I need to grab a hold of, and the way that it came about, it caught my attention. So, you know, the question that I would ask people, well, how hungry are you to get a word from God? How far are you going to go? Because if you have to go into a dry place, is it worth getting into Revelation? Is it really worth doing something you absolutely don't want to do because you know that in the sand you're going to find an oasis somewhere? You're going to find a cactus, but you got to go through the heat. you got to go through the dryness to find it. And there are all kinds of people in the world that can't get a word from the Bible because they can't get a Bible because they don't have access to one. we got Bibles galore in America. You can get a Bible anywhere. But there's some people, man, they will cross a terrain to get the Word of God. We don't have that compromise you know, in America, we don't have that problem. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to read this book. So I'm into this book. And so the first thing that stood out to me was the guy numbered the book, not with numbers, but he did chapters through months and he did 12 months. And I just make a note, man, you know, 12 disciples, the government of God is, you know, signified by 12. So I mean, this guy numbers the book with the calendar of 12 months. Chapter one is January. And so, you know, I start reading into this book and all of a sudden, I start getting sentences highlighted in the book. I'm like, so, oh, when I hear this sentence, I know that this is what I need to highlight because this is part of what I'm going to look for. And so I've got a few sentences that I've started highlighting. And so when I got into one of the chapters, I was waiting for the Holy Spirit to anoint the sentence, waiting for him to quicken in my spirit Truth, because see, the spirit of truth recognizes truth in anything. This guy may not be a believer, but it doesn't matter. The spirit of God knows how to enlighten me to capture the spirit of truth when truth has prevailed. And so, you know, the Bible is truth, but why does the court system require people to put their hand in the Bible and swear on it? And why do people care about the truth in the court system if the truth didn't really matter? Because people want an outcome that's going to be fair. They want it to be right. They want it to be just. And people definitely swear in the Bible that they're not telling the truth. That's just, you know, it's pretty obvious. You know, and, and, and the thing that I think that's amazing about God is, is we have a judicial system that says we are innocent until proven guilty. Now, this isn't on my notes, but I'm gonna, I want to get into this for a second. We're innocent until proven guilty according to our judicial system. The government of God does not operate like that. We are guilty until proven innocent. That's all in Scripture. John 3.16, Jesus condemned sin, and if you have not received that, then judgment now sits on your life. We all live in judgment from day one. We all live in condemnation because we are guilty before God until he proves us innocent through a righteousness not of our own. And so it's interesting that this book starts unfolding all these 
interesting truths because I'm looking for truth. That's what this book is about. I'm trying to find truth in this guy sitting in Australia out in the heat observing the behavior of kangaroos. And it's like you read the sentences, you're like the kangaroo, the wangare was sitting under a nice tree grazing his young wallaby. It's <laughs> like, man, this is, so I'm for, I have to reread paragraphs because I'm like, my, my brain dozes off and I'm like, I'm thinking about something else. And I got to go back and read that paragraph because my eyes were following sentences, but I have no idea what I read. I'm like, man, this is, go back and reread this because I don't want to miss something. So here's the first sentence that I found was, uh, this part of the paragraph says, nor will a solution miraculously appear. It will have to be sought out. What is needed most now is information, for it is not until we know more about kangaroos that we can decide how to best manage them. I was like, oh, there's an anointing on that sentence. And so I start going through the sentence and breaking it apart like, wow, you know, it will have to be sought out. What does it say in Proverbs 25:2? It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. I'm on a hunt, trying to search something out. And in the second part, it says, what is needed most of now is information. Well, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Okay? So what I do is I'm just highlighting these scriptures that I know that come to as I'm reading this book. And, you know, I don't think the biggest enemy in the earth is necessarily racism or hatred you can go down the line of all the demonic presences and the spirits. I think the number one enemy in the earth is ignorance. If God were to pull the veil back and reveal the knowledge of who he was in the earth, we would all be flattened on our face. No one could stand in that. But God holds that veil back. And you know, what was the very last thing that Jesus said on the cross? Forgive them, they know not what they do. They're ignorant. You know, we're born ignorant. We're born knowing nothing. And then somehow along the way, we get into our 30s, 40s, and 50s, and we've got it all figured out in 40 years. <laughs> Man, the Lord, I think the Lord laughs at us so much in the sense of, I love you, but let's, you know, we've got to dial it back a little bit. You know, it's, you're, you're excited, but, you know, come on, let's... I'm going to help you. I lead you along the way. I, I'm going to coach you. You know, I have children, and I say, you already know better than me at 14 or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> I've been living 40 years, and I know how to do this because I've learned the hard way. <laughs> so ignorance, I think, is one of the number one enemies that we really wrestle with. So that's why it's important that we search a matter out because we need to understand the knowledge of God. We need to understand how he thinks so he can give us instruction because if all of my ignorance was gone, I would not be operating in unbelief. I could do the things that Jesus promised, and I believe that we can do those, but man, there's a process of maturing. And so, you know, I got into that, and I started writing that down, you know, and, and so I get into the second sentence. And this, this is, I think, the meat of this meeting for me. And Travis, I went to the prayer meeting. I never go to the prayer meeting in the morning, but I sat in there, and Travis actually had a vision that reaffirmed me that, wow, man, what I'm processing really is important that this one subject tie into what he saw. And I'm going to get into that. And I'm going to read this, you know, the second sentence that I read in this chapter goes like this. It says, it is known that the teeth of kangaroos are subject to a singer... <laughs> it was hard to read this book. This guy, he's all these big words on me. It is known that the teeth of kangaroos are subject to a singular development, the gradual progression of the grinding teeth along the jawbone as the animal gets older, and at the rate of this progression, together with the factors, provides a reliable means of recognizing a kangaroo's age. That's a mouthful, it really is. But in simple terms, the only way that these guys that are, you know, following the behavior of a kangaroo is the only way they know how old they are is they look at their teeth and their teeth determine their age. See, the, the teeth get grinded through the course of developing because they're not there when the, the kangaroo was born, so they don't know when the birth date is. 
But when they hunt these kangaroos and they get them and they do their, their work, the teeth represent their age. This is where it really getting really heavy with me and the Lord. I was like, wow. And I went straight to teeth are prophetically symbolic of relationships. And then I started getting this understanding that what the Lord was trying to show me some stuff. So first of all, scripturally, the Song of Solomon in chapter 4, verse 2, the biblical reference, which, you know, I always believe that most interpretation that comes prophetically has to line up in Scripture. There's, there's, there's confirmation, there's affirmation. You know, the Bible gives us interpretation for these experiences. Now, not all, not all of them are in Scripture, okay? But the Scripture always confirms revelation from the Lord. Because there's the written, and then there's the verbal. And so your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. And you see this parallel where in Song of Solomon, he's comparing teeth to sheep. And we're sheep, and sheep have to be in relationship. So it's tying into how does God determine our maturity? There's many different ways the Lord determines maturity, but one of them for this particular application was he determines how mature we are by how well we handle relationships. And ultimately, the relationship to him first, then the relationship to others. And man, this is going to get to a heavy message, I think, in certain applications, and I'm not trying to be heavy. Oh man, but there is a lot of maturity that needs to happen, not only in myself, but in the body. Because I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of grinding going on between relationships that's not healthy. It's, it really is, it breaks the Lord's heart. So how does God determine maturity in our life? He determines it by how well we respond to him. How well we listen to him. And the thing is, Maturity is not based on how good you're at doing something, not you perfecting your gift, not how much knowledge we attain, because obviously God is not interested in hanging out with me because I can teach him something. God doesn't need knowledge. You know, God's not a problem solver. He doesn't say, hey, i got to solve a problem today. No, that's not in his vocabulary. Like, racism is not in his vocabulary. There's a lot of language that God uses that we don't need to use because his language is so more superior than us and his vocabulary does not even share with some of the words that we use. He doesn't need it. He doesn't have to solve problems. How does someone solve a problem when he's always got the answer? And so this, this thing here was interesting because when I sat down to the prayer meeting, at the end, Travis goes, I'm having a vision. Now, I haven't shared anything with him. I'm just sitting in the meeting of the prayer meeting and he goes, I'm just having this vision from someone praying, and I see dental x-rays. Now, he doesn't know what I've been working on, what I've been kind of preparing to talk about. And I said, man, that really reassures me that the main meat of what I'm supposed to highlight was this one sentence from this book that God really wants to focus on maturing relationships. Because here's the thing about an x-ray. You can't find out what the root of the problem is unless you can see past the superficial stuff. There's a lot of things the Lord wants to help us with. Does that song, Lord, have your way with me? Man, if we mean that, you better be ready for the Lord to come in and start giving you an x-ray of what he's seeing because it's good. Why do you get an x-ray? Because you're in pain and you want to find out how to get rid of the pain. You want something that's bothering you to go away. You know, this is where I started feeling like, wow, man, this is, this is really the right stuff because nothing is going to change until we deal with the root of the problem. Like abortion is not the root of the problem. Abortion is the byproduct of the problem. It is a way to create a solution for a problem that we have created. I might have to get out of the chair in a second. When we don't teach our children the value of life and the value of having the privilege of recreating life, you're going to abuse it. 
my body, my rights. What well, is your body, but it is your right to abuse it? Is it your right to take away life? The real issue is you're in this situation because you're fatherless and you're motherless and someone didn't teach you the knowledge of God that you have been given the right to reproduce and you've been given the privilege of mothering something that you now don't want. Immaturity. You wouldn't be going to the abortion clinic if you valued who you were and you wanted to live pure, but you can't get upset over that because we don't know any better sometimes. That's why I believe the great move that's coming is about repentance and not about miracles and signs. It's about teaching a fatherless generation that you need to have instruction. Repentance is the only way to deal with the root of all problems. So that x-ray was like, oh, wow, man, that is really a piece of my message that I didn't have because the Lord wants to deal. That's the wrong word. The Lord wants to instruct his children. We're all his children, and he's very, very delicate with his kids. You know, the quickest way to see someone repent is when they realize that they deserve something, and then that is removed, and they realize they've received mercy. Mercy will cause someone to repent much faster than trying to prove someone wrong. When someone realizes they deserve punishment for their actions, or when people realize they deserve a consequence for making the wrong decision, and then that is now removed, and then you are given healing and mercy, that will cause someone to melt faster than anything. Because, oh man, do I love because of mercy? Yes. Do I love people because I have been forgiven much? Absolutely. You know, the relationships in the body are very dear to the Lord because his children are still bickering and they're still grinding the teeth of one another over certain doctrines and certain points of views. And everyone, you know, this is, this is an interesting one, but I think I see some insight on it is, you know, this whole thing of love. About a year ago, I think it was, I heard, this phrase that the church is confusing love and compassion. Oh man, there's two different things. They are two absolute different qualities. Love is founded on righteousness and justice. You can't separate either of them. And everyone's crying out for justice, but they ain't crying out for righteousness. They're crying out for justice, but they're not crying out for righteousness. And you can't separate the two because that's the pillar of God's throne. And the Lord didn't command us to preach love. He commanded us to preach the gospel. And the gospel is the ultimate revelation that demonstrates love. And the reason why the church is confusing the two because compassion is an emotion-led position. It's a feeling. Jesus looked at the crowd and had compassion on them. He felt overwhelming sympathy for their pain, and he healed them. But he died for us because of righteousness and justice, which is the ultimate revelation of love, because I'm sure it didn't feel good to be hanging on the cross, and I'm sure it didn't feel good to get whipped, and I'm sure it didn't feel good to get beaten and spit on and despised by people, and they were thinking they were doing the right thing. They actually thought they were doing the will of God, and they were literally burying him in their very sight. And it says, and what did it say? He came to his own, and they didn't even recognize him. I think the worst thing I could ever do is stand before the Lord one day, and I realized that, I missed part of where he presented himself to me because I didn't recognize his invitation or I said something about him that wasn't true. And I'm going to tell you, you talk about getting somebody angry, misrepresent what they said. That's not what I said. You better take that back. (laughs) And this is, I think, where the message starts getting really amazing is because This thing about love is the embrace message that we're all going to get unified by love. Well, if it's God's love, yes. If it's the way God defines love, which is on righteousness and justice, we're going to get unified according to John 16 and 17. We're going to get unified. But if we're going to embrace humanistic points of love, which is all conditional, and it's love that's based on 
feelings, then we're going to turn around. We're going to tell people that God approves of something and accepts of something when he doesn't. And how can, this is, man, this is what burns me up. Boy, this gets me fired up. Is that the Lord went to the cross to bring truth. And what is the byproduct of truth above everything? You shall know the truth. You cannot have freedom from sin or unrighteousness without the truth. And if Jesus is truth, and he went to the painstaking levels and extent to go to the cross to redeem a lie, how can the church gnashing teeth against one another and grinding over the fact that your opinion is better than my opinion when the whole thing is God is trying to bring truth into a situation that has a problem and you can't see the root of the problem because of blindness. We need an x-ray. We need God to open up the eyes and show you what is really behind the molar because the real problem is deeper than what's on the surface. <laughs> and all this came from a book. <laughs> See, I think repentance is the ultimate way for the Lord really responding to our invitation because it's a double-edged platform. God is inviting us, but he's also waiting for us to invite him. And what have we been doing this morning? We've been inviting him. And the more that we invite him, the more he's gonna show up. And the more we get desperate inviting him, the more he's gonna show up again. There is a difference between love and compassion, and the church opens the door up for compassion to lead the way because really ultimately what's happening is they are in pain. There is a molar that's grinding in their teeth that's constantly agitating because there's some sort of offense or a wound, and there's pain. And so I don't want to cause anybody else pain because I want them to know that God loves them. But I'm going to tell you, there's a difference between God loving us and God accepting us because he does not accept us according to our own righteousness. And the church is afraid to really talk about how to deal with sin because ultimately the church doesn't know how to deal with sin. We have to learn how to deal with sin. We do. Because sin is not categorized necessarily by just one being worse than the other. There are different consequences. I'm not going to give my seven-year-old a six-month punishment for her not taking the trash out. But if she does something to her brother and smacks him or something, there's going to be a different consequence. And see, the thing is, sin produces different consequences. But it really ain't no different than the guy who's out drinking and beating his wife than the person who's believing a lie with the same type of relationship that God doesn't approve of. Because God is the ultimate x-ray in the earth, and, he, and it says that his eyes are a witness to everything. Everything happening in the earth right now, God is witnessing all of it. Imagine bearing that burden for about 30 seconds. Oh, and there's a lot to talk about that we can repent of, but this is the building up to the invitation of what God has declared for us because these are just symptoms of the problem. Like I said, abortion isn't the problem. It's how you got to having to make a decision to, to basically murder life. Because I guarantee you, if I took a little dog that had three babies in it and I took them dog babies out and I murdered them, oh boy, I'd have a riot on my hands, would I not? But that's okay. Well, the real issue is, has to do with responsibility. As soon as it becomes a responsibility to you and you want to get a way out, you're going to find a way out. And really, if we understand, and by the mercy of God, I mean that, that I'm in a situation with, with one wife and all my kids. I mean, just the mercy of God. You never know how people are going to respond to a, a, a message. And the ultimate thing is God is leading us to a place to line up with his declarations of invitations because those invitations are for everybody. And then there's personal ones, you know. And, and the thing is, those invitations are, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to ultimately give you salvation. And that, you know, what is it? The definition of invitation is to go somewhere with someone or to do something. Where are we going? We're all going to heaven. I mean, that is the ultimate hope. I'm going to somewhere after this. 
I mean, I, I have eternity, but I'm going to a place where I'm, my body is glorified. I mean, you know, you sh- if we could just start talking about heaven, people might start believing. Glorified place, no sin, no hopelessness, no anger. I mean, the glory of God in the presence of heaven is going to be amazing. I mean, and, and we experience those attributes now, though. We should be having a place of hope and joy and peace in the kingdom now because heaven is just nothing but the transference of what we already have. I don't have salvation when I get there. No, I have salvation now. I don't get peace when I get there. No, I have peace now because the spirit of peace is now living in me. And so the invitations that we have have been declared in the scriptures. They're written and they're for everybody. But, you know, I'm going to circle back around to another sentence. And this is where, you know, I've got three main sentences from this book called The Year of the Kangaroo. And, you know, this last sentence, I didn't have to do much thinking on it. just kind of laid it out for me. But it said, but they, referring to kangaroos, are wayward creatures and, like humans, often do things without good reason. I was like, yeah, I, that's, I don't have to do much interpreting on that one. But I started reading into, you know, well, what does the word wayward mean? You know, and without good reason. So I started you know, digging, I asked myself questions. And so Proverbs 17, 20, he who has a wayward and crooked mind finds no good, and he who has a willful and contrary tongue will fall into calamity. Proverbs 17, 20. He who has a wayward and crooked mind finds no good, and he who has a willful and contrary tongue will fall into calamity. We all have done things without good reason. And then we ask ourselves, well, why did I do that? Well, I had no reason to do it, but it would just seem right. Well, it's because it's the evil inside you doing it. That's just as simple as it is. Like Paul says, I do what I do not want to do because the sin inside me is taking me over. Now, this is not a condemning message today, but... It's a message that brings us to the root of the problem that God has invited us to get past all this stuff. But you can't fix a molar until you see you have a cavity and then you got to get the cavity out and fill it with something else. That was really great, man. It really tied in some of my stuff today. But, you know, you see in part, you know in part. So that's why, you know, it's like, man, you know, there's this reassuring that I'm going in the right direction. Because the last thing I want to do is go in the direction that the Lord's not going. And if I go in that direction, okay, well, don't beat yourself up. Just move on and do it better next time. (laughs) Won't be the last time you miss it. So here's the thing. So God's invitation will place us in a position where we will do things with purpose and with good reason. His invitation will lead us to a place that has fulfillment. You know, and so... Yes, we all do things without good reason because we're ignorant. We just don't know any better sometimes. But if God had to address every immaturity in our life where we did something that wasn't necessarily with good reason, we'd never get out of bed. (laughs) But God is, you know, here's the thing. God highlights the things in our life during the seasons that he needs to highlight them. And, you know, this is very scriptural because Paul says, I think it's Corinthians, Even though I don't feel guilty doesn't mean I'm innocent. But the grace of God and the mercy of God is overshadowing those things so I can stand, basically. Just because I don't feel guilt doesn't mean I'm innocent. But the mercy and the grace of God in us allows us to wake up every morning and stand tall because now we stand on a righteousness that has been credited to us because of what he accomplished. So there is literally no day that can go by in the rest of your life where you can't stand in righteousness because you didn't earn it. And if you had to earn it, then you'd have to maintain it. And this is the only beauty that I think is so amazing is that there's no other message in the earth that gives us the credit of becoming perfect in the sight of God, accepted in the sight of God for something we didn't do. And when you endorse a lie, and you exchange the truth for a lie, and you tell people that it's okay to live in a certain behavior, what you're doing is you're literally condoning them to live in death. They're never going to get free from something if you don't tell them that it's a lie. I mean, I'm telling you, wrestling with deception is, is exactly what it is. You wrestle with it. 
We all have been in delusions at some point. But the thing is, Isaiah 55, eight through nine, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. That is the ultimate revelation of getting to know God is realizing that every way you think is contrary to the way God thinks. And then we start learning how to be conformed to God because we start renewing the way we think through the scriptures. That's Romans 8. Romans 8. Is that Romans 8? It says, be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed. 12. No, Romans 8 is life of the Spirit. Okay, so Romans 12. And so that's, this, is what, this is really what I'm ready to see happen is when the church starts embracing all these distortions, what they're doing is they're exchanging the truth for a lie and they are trying to conform God into the way we think instead of we conforming to the way he thinks. I asked the Lord recently, I said, what is really the big deal with abortion with you? Just give it to me simple. It's murder. It's bottom line. It's murder. You're destroying life. And here's the real kicker. People are wrestling in the church with this because they would rather love the person more than loving God first. See, it says, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And I guarantee you, if you stand before the Lord, he's going to say, well, did you tell that person the truth because you were more afraid of me? Or did you tell them a lie because you were more afraid of them? If you're a bond servant, you're looking to please the master you're not looking to please the people around you. And, you know, it's, it's not that we're rejecting people. That's not the issue. The issue is, well, some people might be getting rejected. I mean, just immaturity, you know. I mean, let's just be honest, you know. <laughs> but we don't know how to deal with sin because we don't know how to have relationship. And we don't know how to bring people into a place of freedom because we don't understand how to communicate the heart of God. Now, that's a generalization. There are probably many people in the room here who probably don't wrestle with this. Maybe I can learn something from you. But ultimately, there's this major poison in the body right now. There is. I'm going to go maybe five minutes. I'm going to wrap this up. There's a poison. So I had a dream. I had an experience a couple weeks back that I shared at the last God night for a minute, but I think it applies here. I woke up with the question, would you drink poison? And I thought to myself, well, of course I wouldn't drink poison. But then I started realizing the Lord was trying to show me that the Holy Spirit is the cupbearer that we need in the body. See, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And, cup, and I didn't know this, but cupbearers are very esteemed positions, very, high, very highly recognized as valued positions because they are literally being entrusted with the king's life and the king's guests. And why is the cupbearer symbolic of the Holy Spirit? Because I guarantee you, if the enemy comes and gives you a lie, which is poison, and if the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth, does not taste it for you, you're going to swallow it, and you're going to drink the fruit of that lie. And there's a lot of people who are embracing doctrines and truths, so-called, what I like to call self-truths. They're embracing self-truth, over the truth because they want to make people feel comfortable, which is right. They want people to feel embraced and welcomed. But I'm going to tell you what, what may seem good in the end is going to turn out to not be what you think it is because that's how the angel of the light appears. And so I think, you know, I'm, I'm, this, I'm seeing this tying into a lot of stuff that I've had in the past. We have got to have a love for the truth, a love for the Lord that is so much more than whether or not people are comfortable because if I want to see you come into the revelation of the knowledge of God so that you can see that what he has done for you is going to set you free. Because if I don't give you truth and I give you a lie, then I'm going to be guilty for basically leading you down the wrong way. And what does it say? This, these things have to come. But woe to the person that it comes through. It'd be better to have a stone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than you tell someone something different than what I said. And I think that's the biggest heresy that's happening in the church is people are basically putting things in God's mouth that he's not saying, and they're saying, this is what the Lord said, and that's not what I said. I think the biggest thing I could ever do, like I said, is stand before the Lord, and he said, 
I never said that. And Moses had this problem when he struck the rock in anger because he was representing the Lord as being angry when he wasn't. And I'm a father, and the last thing I'd want is my children to go around thinking that I said something that I didn't think. I want to make that right. So the promises are his invitations. And sure, the Lord has the x-ray, and he sees all the things that are deep below the surface, and he sees the pain that are in our relationships. But the Lord is the dentist coming in and saying, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to fix this. But you got to be willing to honor that prayer that said, Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. Well, don't touch that one now. Leave that one alone. I won't mess with that one right now. Well, you said let me have my way. The Lord is real good at holding us accountable to what we say. And, you know, and, and the thing is, the Lord is very gentle and he's very persuasive to getting us into a place of receiving something from him. Like I said, he doesn't necessarily need to show us judgment in order to repent. He shows us the mercy of, hey, man, this was definitely not a good thing to do, but I'm going to help you work through it. And then you realize, wow, that, tur- that would turn the hardest of hearts soft. It really will. And you know what does ultimately the, the Lord look at above everything? The heart. He's not looking at anything else. So that's why God's not racist, because he doesn't look at skin. He just looks at hearts. Hearts don't have a color. <laughs> I don't have a color. But that's, that was Samuel, you know, go and, go and pick the next king. And Samuel fell into that air. So here's how I wrap this up. God has invitations. He has an invitation generally for everybody in the earth. I desire that all men come to know the truth. I desire you come to know me. And then he has the individual invitation for everyone in the room. What is that invitation? Well, guess what? It's going to be different for you than what it is for me. You might be the one that needs to go and adopt. You might need to foster children. That might be an invitation the Lord's putting on your heart. You might be the one that's supposed to carry a business anointing. The thing about God is he doesn't, he's got so many creative ways to invite everybody to do something that there is no place for anybody to be left out in the kingdom. There is a place for every single person. This is going to blow my mind too. There are 8 billion people in the earth and every single person has an invitation to do something specific to that life. Write a business plan for that for me. <laughs> Showing me how many billions of people have purpose. Oh, man, God is ultimately, man, he's got so much x-ray vision. He just sees everything so transparently. And, you know, so the invitation is to go somewhere, to do something, to follow him, to learn of his ways, to replace our thoughts with his thoughts, to conform into the way he thinks. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we can't forget. The ultimate invitations have already been accepted. You're going to heaven. You have salvation. But what about, well, Lord, what are you inviting me to now at my age of 30, 40, 50? Okay, well, let's talk about it. I got something for you to do. We just have to recognize those seasons. And when the Lord invites you to search a matter out, it may not be easy as just opening a book up and reading the first sentence. You might have to read a very boring book. So the question is, how, how hungry are you to get an answer or to get a word or to get a revelation? Because the Lord invites us personally and daily because he's trying to engage us into a mystery of something. It's more important to him to have that intimacy to search something out. Because here's the thing is when you get it, oh, man, then you treasure it. I got that one myself. I got it myself. No one gave it to me. I wasn't taught this. I got it straight from the horse's mouth. And then your well just keeps getting watered, keeps getting deeper. So just be encouraged. The Lord is inviting every one of us to search him out, to find things. And, you know, I talked about, so I think, some subjects that are pretty relevant to the body right now that are kind of heavy. But, you know, if we're going to fix any problems, we've got to get to the root of it. We've got to get the x-rays and look at and, and see what exactly is going on behind the scenes. Amen. <laughs> Good job, Jonathan. It's all about the journey. It's all, it's all about the journey. We all have the Christian life is not boring. A true Christian life is not boring. When you're in the pocket with him every day, he's leading you, he's guiding you, he's making a way for you to discover things that have not yet been discovered. If you're not experiencing that, God wants more for you. 
And that's that God, it's what that scripture that Jonathan quoted, you know, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search a matter out. He doesn't hide things from us, he hides them for us, but we have to care enough about it that we're willing to pursue it at whatever cost it is to pay to get there. And then it becomes that treasure that no man can take from us that Jonathan was talking about. And so that is so good. We are all on a journey of discovery. And so, praise God, I, I am so thankful. That's been my life. I'm discovering God. <laughs> Good word, Jonathan. Well, guys, we love you. We got Home Group Wednesday.